Amen. What a joy to celebrate this service with you on Easter Sunday. You know, the most recognizable symbol of Christianity is certainly the cross. And I read a story uh, by, it was written by a lady named LaVon Brown, a short, a short little story. And it tells of a, a place in the Italian Swiss Alps, essentially, that contains one of these stations of the cross where you can hike a long, narrow trail and stop at each one of the stations of the cross. And she writes that, you know, as you pass by, the, the goal is to, to reach up toward the top of this uh, uh, trail where you'll find a beautiful outdoor crucifix as a part of a worship. Thousands of tourists will go there every year. Well, one year, one tourist noticed that there was a little trail that led beyond the cross. It was hidden and it was kind of grown over with weeds and she fought back through the thickets and worked her way. To her surprise, she came upon one more shrine, one more symbol, and this was the symbol of the empty tomb. It had been neglected, brush had grown up over it, almost everyone had gone so far as the cross, but they stopped at the cross. Folks, if we stop at the cross, we miss the most glorious opportunity, the most glorious truth of the resurrection story, of the gospel narrative. Jesus died certainly for our sin. He, he wrote in red his love for us when he died on the cross. But if he had not come up out of the grave, you and I would be left without hope. It is the resurrection, the empty tomb that is the greatest symbol of Christianity that gives us hope. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. He wasn't just, wasn't just risen. It's not that he was alive. He is alive. He rose again, never to face death ever again and offered us a promise that those who live and believe in him will never die. That's the glorious truth that we gather to celebrate today. And we're going to look at a passage that maybe is a little bit different. The last time I preached on Easter from this text was in 2009. And I want, to, want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because Paul, as he was writing to the Corinthian church, he'd ended up with an, in an argument with some of the leaders there about whether or not there was a resurrection. Not just Jesus' resurrection, but our hope of being resurrected again in the future. And Paul deals with that throughout this chapter. So we're going to read portions of this chapter as we go forward. I want to begin actually with verse 1. I think that we've, what we've put up on the screen will begin in verse 3. But in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bibles with you or your phone or your, your uh, uh, iPad, you can read along. The Scripture says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken a stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and that he was buried. I want to pause there for just a moment because that's what we looked at Friday night. We had a wonderful Good Friday service here and, and uh, 
focusing on the death of Christ, his blood that was shed for us. And we're reminded on Friday that because he died, because a sacrificial death for your sins and my sin, we can have our sins forgiven. We even looked at the story of the, the two criminals that were crucified with Jesus and talked about how in those two criminals, every single human being who has ever lived or ever will live is represented by those two crooks. <laughs> because the truth is, every single one of us has sinned against God. Every single one of us is a criminal before the holy throne of a living, holy God. Our only hope as we identify with two criminals who by one of them's very admission said, we deserve to die. Our only hope of having forgiveness of our sins is that we recognize that on that middle cross, Jesus died for my sins. And, and because of what he did on that middle cross, I can have forgiveness of sins. And then right after that, right after that discussion with these two thieves, Jesus looked to one and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. The one who trusted him, who believed in him and confessed his own sin. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he breathed his last. Jesus died. Let there be no question. He wasn't asleep. He wasn't in a coma. He was dead. And to make sure that he was dead, a Roman soldier came up when Jesus breathed his last and he took a, a spear and he thrust it up through Jesus' side, which would have gone up underneath the ribcage, up into the heart cavity, and blood and water drained out of Jesus' side. The soldier did that to verify and to know for sure that Jesus had died on the cross. Otherwise, he would have done what they generally do with criminals who, uh, who suffer a long extended period of time. And what they did to the other criminals, they came along and they broke their legs so that they could finish the, the, the deal and they could get him off the cross. They, they could finalize their work and, and then throw him, throw them into the, the, the hat trash heaps outside of Jerusalem. So he verified that Jesus was dead. Let's not forget that. Let's not move too quickly past that. Because had Jesus not died on the cross, had he not shed his blood for you and me, we would have no redemption. We would have no forgiveness of sins. It was in his death on the cross, his shed blood, that we have hope of forgiveness. But let's not stop there either. Because if Jesus had not risen from the grave, then nothing else matters. If he had only died and we received forgiveness, but he had no power to overcome death, hell, and the grave, then, then everything that he taught up to that point, everything that he claimed, who he claimed to be was a lie. And so let's move on in our, our study because that's what Paul does. See, the, the Corinthians were willing to accept that Jesus had, had been crucified and that Jesus had died, but some of them were struggling with the idea that he had rose again. And so he goes on in verse 3 and says that, in verse 4, he was buried and that he ra was raised on the third day 
according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then the 12 and then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. And then verse 12, we pick up. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead are not raised. For the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised. We'll get to more of that in a moment. But I want to pause and I want us to look at this theme. What if there is no resurrection? What if Christ had not been raised? We live in a time that is not... It's not new throughout history. There have been, uh, it's been cyclical. There have been times when even people who claim to be Christians, who claim to, to believe in Scripture, will have a hard time believing in the resurrection. And we stall, we pause, and I want to ask that question. Well, what if there is no resurrection? Can we be a Christian? Can we accept the teachings of Christ? Can we hold to a relationship with him if there were no resurrection? I've seen it out on Facebook just in recent weeks. Folks who are denying the resurrection but are saying, but you can still believe in Jesus. You can still be a Christian. You can still hold on to his truths and hold on to his teachings. And I say that, that, that that's a farce. If Jesus were not raised, all of this is a lie. Paul lays it out in, in four different primary points here in verses 13 down through verse 22 or verse 20. He says, if, if Christ, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus did not come back up out of the grave, our message is a lie. We're bearing false witness. And the truth is, if there were no resurrection, then Paul was a liar. Peter was a liar. John was a liar. Jesus himself was a liar. How can you claim or why would you want to follow a man who said, that if you kill this body, you destroy it in three days, I'm going to raise it up. I'm going to come back to life. If there were no resurrection, then the message is a lie. Everything that Jesus said comes into question. Our message is a lie and the New Testament is a lie. If the resurrection did not happen, our faith is futile. Paul says that if the resurrection did not happen, 
then the, the, the gospel is a lie and we are still in our sins. You're putting your, your faith in something that is meaningless if there is no resurrection. This is how crucial that empty tomb is. This is how crucial the resurrection is to our faith. Because if Jesus did not come back up out of that grave, he's a liar. Scripture is a lie. And my sins are unforgiven. I have no hope. If there is no resurrection, our future is fatal. The dead are not raised. If there is no resurrection, when you take your last breath on this earth, that's it. You have no more hope. If you deny all of Scripture, you, and maybe you're one who believes that there is no heaven, there is no hell, then you're just gone. There is, there is, your, your future is annihilated. Death is final and fatal if there is no resurrection of Christ. If there is no resurrection of Christ, you either are going to spend eternity in some type of limbo or suffering, or you're going to be annihilated. Death becomes fatal without the resurrection. And fourth, our lives are to be pitied because we have wasted our time. We've wasted our breath. Those who have invested in eternal life have wasted their treasure on something that's meaningless, hopeless, and fake. If there is no resurrection from the dead, if Jesus is not risen, none of this matters. None of it. But the good news is what Paul says there in verse 20. But as it is, I love his matter-of-fact ways. Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus did come up out of that grave. There is hope because of, of a resurrected Christ, not some kind of ghost that came up, but a, a body that, that came up out of that grave, still somehow bearing the scars on his wrist and on, in his side, and yet whole and able to eat and able to walk around, able to sit around a campfire, build a campfire and cook fish for his disciples a few days later. The, the resurrected Christ who was dead comes back to life. And, and the evidence for that resurrection is what I want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about because that's what Paul did at the beginning of this chapter. Paul says, as Jesus rose again on the third day, according to scriptures, he appeared to Cephas, he appeared to Peter, and he appeared to the 12, and he appeared to 500 brothers and sisters at one time. And Paul, as he writes to the Corinthian church in about 56 or 57 AD, says most of those people are still alive. You can go ask them. There's 500 people out there who saw him, men and women, who saw the resurrected body of Christ. They saw him die and they saw him alive. And they know it to be true. They are eyewitnesses. Then he appeared to James. And last of all, he even appeared to me, Paul says. This happened after Jesus had ascended to heaven. He bodily returned, came back just to meet Paul face to face on the road to Damascus. 
How can we have confidence in that? Because there's, there's a lot of questions out there. What, how, how can we have confidence that there truly is an empty tomb? Well, first and foremost, I want to remind you that the Jews were a little concerned. The Jewish leadership, the high priests, were concerned that the disciples may try to, to uh, continue a hoax that, that they considered Jesus' claims to be. And so they went to uh, the high priest and asked the high priest to take his Roman guard and to place a guard over that tomb. And so they, they placed a seal on the tomb and they placed a guard around the tomb so that no one could come steal the body. And these Roman soldiers would have been there under the threat of death had they allowed anything to happen. But there's nothing they could do about it. It didn't matter how many soldiers they stationed there at the tomb. No one was going to be able to keep the risen Savior from rolling back the stone and walking out on his own. And so you have the witness of the soldiers, the sealed tomb, where the, the, when the women showed up on Sunday morning, the rock had been rolled back. You have the grave clothes laying there as though they'd been undisturbed except for the head cloth that had been folded up. See, if Jesus had not truly risen from the grave, if the tomb were not empty from his resurrection, there's no way that those disciples could have pulled off that hoax. And if he had not been resurrected and ascended back to heaven, I want to assure you that the Roman government and the high priest would have paraded his body throughout Jerusalem and the surrounding area day after day after day after day to prove that he had not risen. They would have had no qualms in taking his head and posting it up on the walls around Jerusalem. They would have done anything they could to, to put an end to this uprising against their faith for the Romans against their Caesar. The Romans and the Jews would have been in agreement on that one thing. If Jesus had not risen, they would have had his body out there for all to see. But they didn't have his body because the tomb was empty. He rose up out of the grave and there was nothing that they could do about it. The soldiers couldn't stop him. Death couldn't keep him in the grave. And, and they couldn't, once he rose, they could not find a dead body to parade around. The tomb was empty. That's evidence. Some of the greatest evidence that we have that the resurrection happened. But second, I want you to notice these witnesses. Over 500, Paul says, 500 brothers and sisters at one time saw the risen, resurrected Savior. I want to tell you, had it only been one or two people, we might could still have doubt. Had it only been the inner circle, his 12 disciples that had seen his resurrected body, or maybe the, the, the few disciples and the few women got to see him resurrected, then people would still be claiming it's a hoax. But as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, over 20 years after Christ was resurrected, he said there were 500 people that saw him, and if you doubt it, go talk to them. They were eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. Can you imagine Peter? Peter saw him die. He saw the body taken down off of the cross. He saw it wrapped up and he knew that it was placed in that tomb. 
And then Peter later saw him alive. The witnesses, there were too many witnesses for the, for the Jewish leadership and, and for the Roman government to continue to claim that it was a hoax. Well, they could claim it, but they couldn't stop it. They couldn't stop the gospel. They couldn't stop the good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. The good news was that Jesus rose from the grave and that good news could not be stopped because there were too many people who saw it with their own eyes. But there's always one more question. Well, what if all of those people were in on some type of elaborate hoax? What if somehow they were able to drug the Roman soldiers and, or catch them when they were asleep and roll back that giant stone and sneak Jesus out of his grave clothes without disturbing him? What if they could do all of that and they could sneak his body off and, and the same, all 500 witnesses, plus the disciples and, and Paul and everybody else later, what if they were all in on this hoax? Well, there's one more fatal problem with that kind of argument, and it's this. Peter claims to have seen Jesus die and to see him rise again. Peter denied Christ, and yet something took place between the cross and Pentecost that caused Peter to be dramatically changed. He went from a whimpering lying denier who said, I've never, I never knew the man. I'm not from Galilee. He went from that person to one who would stand in the pulpit and proclaim the resurrected Christ was the only way to eternal life until he was taken to prison and beaten and Peter still proclaimed the resurrected Christ. What happened? What did Peter see between the cross and Pentecost that so transformed his life? There's no other explanation except he saw the risen Savior. Peter knew it to be true because he saw it with his own eyes. Well, maybe one part, maybe Peter could pull it off. Maybe he could keep the secret. But would Stephen have stood preaching in the streets while he was being stoned to death if he did not know the risen Christ? to be true? Would Mark, John Mark, who was dragged to death, allowed himself to be dragged to death? Would Simon and Andrew allow themselves to be crucified if they had not been eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ? And what about Peter and Philip who were crucified upside down? James, who was beheaded. Bartholomew, who was flayed alive. Thomas, who was pierced with spears in modern-day India. James, the lesser, the son of Alphys, was stoned, and that didn't do him in, so they clubbed him to death. Jude was shot through with arrows. Paul, church history tells us, was boiled and then beheaded, boiled in hot oil and then beheaded. Let me ask you, if the resurrection were not true, would not one of these guys leaked. 
would not one of them, when pressure was put on them, when they were about to be drawn and quartered, when they were about to be crucified upside down, when they were about to be put in a, a vat of hot boiling oil, would not one of them, if they had not truly seen the resurrected Christ and it was all a lie, would not one of them broken and said, it's a, it's a lie. It's just not true. See, I cannot get past the fact that life after life after life after life, after life, after life was radically changed, dramatically changed, drastically changed. I can't get past that because if Jesus weren't risen and if it were a hoax, those guys would have known it and they certainly would have not gone to the extent they did to proclaim the resurrected Christ and then give up their lives for it. And out of all of those other 500 witnesses, can't you imagine that somebody else would have let it slip that it's a hoax? Maybe even have led the high priest or the Roman soldiers to the real body of Christ where they'd hit it. See, they didn't. They didn't. They went to the cross. They were burned in flame. They, they were martyred because they had seen Jesus die and then they'd seen him rise again. And they knew that their hope was tied to his resurrection. Because Jesus rose, we have hope. You could go on and on and on because besides those immediate eyewitnesses of Jesus's day, lives have continued to be transformed by the power of Christ and his spirit for 2,000 years. Lives in this room have been transformed by the power of the resurrection of Christ and will continue to be when we put our hope and our faith and our trust in him. Paul ends this chapter I want to begin in verse 50, pointing us forward because he says, what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and the mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and the mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, death, is your sting? Where, death, is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the grave, because he was resurrected, the promise of the New Testament is everyone who lives and believes in him will not die, but we also will be resurrected. Now, for some... And some of you who are here today, you've had loved ones just this year. 
you have felt that you've lost loved ones and you have felt that sting of death. They felt death sting. But I'm here to tell you that that sting is only temporary because death has not and cannot win the victory. Jesus made us a promise before he went to the grave that those who live and believe in him will never die. Now, they may have, their bodies may have felt the sting of death, but their spirit didn't. When he gets over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us that when you take your last breath on this earth, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our spirit immediately goes to reside with him. And the beauty of this passage, when he, here he's talking about the, the rapture. He's talking about a time when Christ is going to return. And when he does, those who are in the grave, those who have already fallen asleep in Christ, my beloved daughter, her, her body is going to be caught up out of the grave and it's going to be transformed into an incorruptible body and it's going to be reunited with her spirit. And so he tells us here that, that those who have died are going to be raised and they're, they're going to be, be clothed in incorruptible bodies. But for those of us who are still alive at that point, we're going to be caught up in there and we're going to be changed. Look at verse 51. I'm telling you a mystery. We won't all sleep but we will all be changed. For those who, who have taken their last breath already and this body is in the grave, they're gonna, their bodies are going to be resurrected and they're going to be given a new body that is incorruptible like that body of Christ that will never die. And for those of us who are alive, this dying, withering body will be transformed into an incorruptible body. What a glorious day that's going to be. I've often said that, that I would love the day that Jesus returns, I would love to be preaching someone's graveside funeral in the biggest cemetery in the area. Because the scripture says that the dead in Christ will be raised first in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then those who are behind will be caught up together with them in the air. What a day that will be. But see, here's the, the bottom line. Because Jesus rose again because he rose. He has established power over death. He, he has proved that he is the author of life. He knew it already. He told the disciples that over and over and over again. The night before he, he went to the cross, the night before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, I am life. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to know me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to get to the Father, you come through me. So Jesus knew it. Jesus had proclaimed it. But when he rose up out of the grave and that stone was rolled back, Jesus proved it. And because the tomb is empty, we have hope of eternal life. I had a picture that I wanted to show you. This is of a friend of mine. He is now a pastor, but well, he, he's retired. He had uh, served in Vietnam for a while. He was a pastor in Beckley, West Virginia. He used to take pretty regular trips to uh, the promised land and he would guide tours there. There's actually, a, I, I didn't give you this one, but there's a picture of him standing in that doorway of the empty tomb that he posts on his Facebook page every year. But this is a picture he actually took of the garden tomb where it's believed that Jesus was buried in that cave, that cut out cave. And, and, and the tomb is empty. 
But here's what it means to you and I. Because that grave is empty, there's a whole lot more graves that are going to be empty. <laughs> because Jesus' grave is empty. One of these days, Katie, our daughter, that grave is going to be empty. Her body's going to be resurrected out of the grave and we'll meet her together in the sky. That's the promise of the resurrection. That's the importance of the resurrection. If Jesus were not raised, we are without hope. But he was raised. All of the evidence points to it. The literature points to it. History points to it. The evidence of the empty grave, the witnesses, those dramatically changed lives in the first century and every century since then, every transformed life attests to the veracity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Were he not raised, we would have no hope. But as the Apostle Paul said in verse 20, as it is, as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's why we celebrate he is risen. Paul began this chapter with an overview of the gospel. This is what I've preached to you, and it is on this truth that you have taken your stand. If you want to be saved, he says in verse 2, you're going to hold on to this gospel, this right here. If you want to have the hope of eternal life, you're going to hold on to this simple gospel. If you have never put your faith in this simple truth, I plead with you, let this resurrection day be the day that you surrender your eternity to Christ. Where you come and you say, Lord, you're right. I'm a sinner. I needed your death on the cross. I need you to cleanse me of my sins and give me the hope that comes with your resurrection. This is the simple truth. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's all you need to know. If you can get a handle on that and you put your trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, you can have the assurance that when you take your last breath on this earth, that you'll open your eyes in his presence. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.